Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, a special, like, emergency edition, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's 7 o'clock here on Friday night. I'm tired. I'm joined by Chris Snee. He is uh, joining me over Skype. So this is going to be the same amazing quality that you guys are used to, at least not, like, audio-wise. But, but you know, content-wise, it's going to be amazing. So uh, I'm bearing the lead here. Jimbo Fisher is no longer the coach at Florida State. And uh, that's where we begin. Chris, uh, today was a chaotic day. You and I <laughs> were having a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of chaos, a lot of uh, angst at times, but overall productive and uh, busy. General thoughts here as we kind of get into this about how today unraveled. I guess it was kind of overdue based on what the last few days were, right? This is what we expected maybe a day before. Yeah, we built to this point over the last five to seven days, but especially over the last like 48 hours. You know, Tuesday, it sounds like things kind of fell apart with regards to any possibility of the two sides mending fences. Yeah. And Fisher remaining here. By Wednesday, it was clear that FSU was in a full fledged coaching search, that they were moving on and they intended to try to find the next football coach for Florida State football. And, you know, then Thursday came, and I, I think, at least for me, I expected some form or fashion of an announcement from one of three sides in this, Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, or Florida State. And truthfully, outside of the Board of Regents approving what they had to approve, making sure their ducks were in a row, we didn't really get that. You know, yeah. FSU was silent. Jimbo, during his Thursday evening media session, really didn't veer off course from what he usually tells us in regards to these situations. But I think it became abundantly clear at that point that something had to give you can't walk a coach out on the football field as a head coach when you don't expect them to be there 24 hours later. You know, it's just difficult. It's an odd situation. It's weird for the fans. It was weird for the players. Coaches are a little unsure what's going on. So we kind of reached that point. And then today came, you know, Jimbo did what he needed to do, which was go see John Thrasher, the president of the university. At that point, he resigned. His agent, Jimmy Sexton, was here in town. He was consulting with him during the day, speaking with him. We were actually sitting there. We saw them. <laughs> speaking at one point during the afternoon. Um, and then he went in to clean out his office and, you know, prepare for what that was, what was going to be next for him. I presume he wanted to be the first to tell his players. He definitely said that obviously in this day and age of social media and people trying to break stories, that wasn't going to be the case. News broke around one o'clock. He spoke to Thrasher about 90 minutes prior. He had a scheduled meeting with the players at two. At that time he did speak to them, but they obviously already knew because the news had broken. Yeah. But, you know, had a tearful conversation with his players. He's always been a player's coach. He's a guy that does love his players. I know that's hard for some people to swallow when a guy just walked up to Florida going to another school. But he is a player's coach. Look at how former players who played for Jimbo Fisher reacted, how they stood up for him during this week, what their opinions are of him. He is a guy that if you go through the battles with him, you do have an endearing spirit with the man. So, you know, we saw that. He left. He packed up the truck, left the building. I don't know if he got on a plane or not today because he's no longer a football coach I cover. So I literally quit caring about him around 2 p.m. today as far as worrying about what was next. Oh, man, we're, we're totally going to care about him on his Monday, you know, introductory press conference or Sunday at, at, in College Station when he starts throwing shade at Florida State for not giving him facilities, like subtly. But we're going to care for at least a couple more days, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, Thrasher came out with a very strongly worded statement. For about FSU, that, damn time. <laughs> that, that tweet from FSU Football, the official Twitter account, Florida State Football, I thought was interesting. You know, I, I thought it was a good thing, but at the same time, it was something that they kind of had been hesitant to do up to that point. Yeah. Um, well, so we saw that. So, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some 
uh, fireballs lob back in the direction when he's talking about, you know, essentially an endless piggy bank and the ability to fully invest in a football program like he sees fit. Those were issues that he had here. Mm-hmm. It's a major reason he left this program. He didn't leave this program because of his ability to coach. He didn't leave this program because of, you know, specific football items. He left this program because of the ability to run this program as he saw fit. He wanted to have more control, more say in the way things were operated off of the football field for his program. And that was a sticking point that him and the other individuals in the room who mattered couldn't get above and beyond. And that's why we reached this point. I've been steadfast in this belief, and I still am from talking to people throughout this entire process. I don't think Jimbo Fisher went into this process wholeheartedly believing he would be departing Florida State, but he knew he had the opportunity and the ability to do so and go somewhere that would facilitate his needs. Yeah, when we and when we had the podcast on I was gonna say when we had the podcast on Monday, Chris, it was you, myself, Bob, and Josh. It was all four of us, um, and Josh was the only one who at that point was thinking he was going. Um, I think you and I were kind of on the fence and thought like, man, there's just no way because we knew right. that he wanted to stay. Like that was I, I. So I think what happened was, I mean, one, I think he kind of started this process in his mind a while ago, more than a week ago. But but I did think there was a chance, oh, like no. like he had. So with LSU jobs, like as we reported and, and have kind of uncovered during this, is like he, he handled the LS, those LSU situations much differently. Like he, this was his parachute. Like he knew Texas A&M was a place he could realistically jump to, but I think he was hoping to get what he wanted. Now he asked for a shit ton from Florida State, and some of it I think was unreasonable in terms of what we've heard. Like with some of the not just the facility upgrades, but the speed of them, the, the significance of them. I asked for things that maybe he knew Florida State wasn't going to say yes to, but. Uh, he knew he had that leverage, I guess, going into it. I think maybe he thought he, he would be able to get it. I uh, thought there was at least a chance. Uh, and it seemed like it by Tuesday, like you said, it deteriorated so quickly where Florida State was like, eh, man, this is what we got. And he was like, all right. And <laughs> and then, then it went away. But, but yeah, to your point, I don't think he – I don't think that was necessarily the whole intention was like I'm definitely going to a and I think he kind of wanted Florida State to, to give it its best shot. And I, I don't think they were really willing to play ball at all is kind of – how this shook out. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. He got obviously reported numbers, I think are 10 for 75. Yeah. Yep. That's insane money. And the funny thing is, I don't think at the beginning of this for Jimbo, it had anything to do with his individual contract figures. No, I mean, that's more, that's more of a status thing for him. That's more of like a, like a significance of what, like, like that's the, so our timing isn't great because we're usually in person and, and go back and forth much better. Um, <laughs> so we're kind of feeling through each other here. Uh, we haven't done Skype in a while, but he, like, I think 7.5 you know, per year is more of a more of a statement than it is for him, and that's what comes with it too. I, I think that's more of, of what that is, right? Yeah, it's A&M making it abundantly clear they're here to play big-time ball and yeah. they want a guy who they believe can win them a national title. Mm-hmm. But with FSU – I don't think he cared about another dime for himself from FSU. I think he cared about a lot of money for his program, the ability to build, you know, buildings, football operation facility, obviously being the first one up on the docket. I think it was about being able to hire any and all assistants that he wanted to, regardless of price tag. I think it was about more support staff. The things that he's clamored and complained for over the last couple of years that, yes, are necessities for a football program, but I think the ability for FSU to do them and what Jimbo thought they should be capable of doing for, I think there was a large void between those two points. All right, real quick, let's talk about Jimbo's legacy, Chris. Uh, you, you covered him longer than I have. I, I came in 2013, obviously a heck of a year. For me to start covering the program, uh, 
I wrote a column on it a little bit earlier. Bob kind of wrote a column. Bob Ferrante wrote a column. Uh, kind of similar, but more talking about time being time to go. But, but basically, Jimbo's legacy. Like, listen, there's no, you know, every breakup is going to be messy. Um, but as we look, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, I mean, give Jimbo Fisher, I, I didn't always enjoy covering him. I thought him to be hostile. I thought him to be kind of arrogant at times. But But he was also... A man of conviction. He believed what he believed. He's a football genius, um, and he had a vision for Florida State and helped modernize the program at a time when it was way behind. Did it quickly. A great recruiter, a great football mind, and he was able to get this program on track and, and have one of the best, you know, most dominant college football seasons in the history of, of you know the sport, at least modern history of the sport. Um, so my my view of his legacy is going to be that you know I do think think it's fair to call it a legacy after eight seasons. Uh, is that he modernized Florida State football and he left that program and you know, whoever whoever inherits it next is going to have it at a much, much better spot than, than when he was the coordinator and became the head coach in waiting and then the head coach. Is that fair to say, Chris? Yeah, wholeheartedly. Anytime a coach leaves a program, they talk about, well, I think I'm leaving it better than I found it. I think that's certainly true with Jimbo Fisher. Anytime a fan or anybody associated with the program gets angry about you know what transpired in Jimbo's departure, I need to think back to 2013. Mm-hmm. That that was a peak of the mountain with that man. It was phenomenal. An unbelievable season. It ends with a national title. But you hit a lot of things. You hit a lot of nails on the head. You talked about how he modernized it, no doubt. He completely gutted it, changed it, had a process, and it executed perfection over those first four or five years from when he was a coordinator to when he became a head coach. And it's the reason that they won that national title. They became aggressive in the recruiting. They evaluated well. They improved facilities. They improved the support. They improved the ability for an athlete to come here and believe this was the best opportunity for them in college football. And that's why they were so good at recruiting. Now, it didn't end well. It kind of ended with a whimper, five and six season, hopefully six and six after tomorrow for them. Um, his time here is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the win totals. You look at the year-by-year win totals. You look at what he did. You look at the streak of 29 in a row. You look at the NFL draft. He, he checked every box. And, you know... Change is good. I think change will be good for Jimbo Fisher, and I think change will potentially be good for FSU. I don't think this is a a divorce of the two that's going to ultimately doom FSU or ultimately doom Jimbo Fisher. I think it might reinvigorate Jimbo. I think there were some burnout factors going on with him this year, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been true for a couple years. I think in FSU's case, they're able to kind of redirect and figure it out and take the best of both worlds, what they've learned in recent years and what established the program as a great program for so many years before Jimbo stepped on campus. I think you can combine those two things and move on, and hopefully with the next hire, that's what you're able to hit the nail on the head with. Well, so so going off of that, two things. I, I want to go into, Chris, why he left and how he left. Um, but but jumping off, like sometimes, I think I t- we talked about this in the last podcast, like relationships end. Like, and I think that you mentioned that burnout with Jimbo – Man, I, I was in a nine-year relationship through high school, through college, and by the time it ended, it's just we were friends, and, and you know, dynamics change. Like, people change uh, from one point to another in your life. Like, where he was when he came to Tallahassee, he's in a much different state of mind as a coach, as a person. Obviously, he's had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life. You just change, and sometimes you need a reset. Um, and Texas A&M is a blank canvas for him. College Station is a blank canvas. Like, man, and you take the money that you get and go for it. Like, I I can't blame blame anyone for that. And I think, you know, from Florida State's perspective, a, a fresh start is good. And that that's, gets me into, like, why he left. Um, a lot of factors. 
part of it, I think, man, is is that, that fresh start. And it's not just through the facilities or just some of the relationships that have kind of come to light that that weren't going well in, in Tallahassee, either with the boosters, uh, with administration. We had administrators telling us, like, man, he's a pain in the ass to work for for years. And that's fine when you're winning. When you're not, it kind of deteriorates and, and crumbles a little bit. And all those issues come out to the forefront. Um, but, but part of me, Chris, like, I think he left to get that fresh start because five and six, like, because things weren't going well here, because I think his message grew stale, because he was going to have to fire a bunch of his friends. He was going to have to basically admit to failure, which is something he hasn't had to do. I mean, the last losing season he had was at Cincinnati when he was the offensive coordinator in, what, 99? Uh, and then before that, that year in Auburn, yeah, 98 was the last year there um, when he was a, a position coach. So... You know, he had to admit failure, and I think this kind of allows him the parachute, like that golden parachute, to to get out and not have to gut this thing, and you get your fresh start, and he's proven, man, he can build something quickly. So I, I think it kind of, for him, makes sense. Yeah, I agree with many of the factors you brought up, but ultimately I think why he left his relationships. Mm-hmm. I think Jimbo is a person that wants to have his hand in every cookie jar and be involved with every part of the process, program, everything that happens. And for Jimbo at FSU, that... That process was managed by him and three others. Him, head of boosters, which Andy Miller is the face I put to that, but in general, boosters as an organization. Uh, Stan Wilcox, the director of athletics, who they didn't have a great relationship. I wouldn't call combative, but I wouldn't exactly say they were pups skipping and jumping down the street together. But but Jimbo didn't didn't respect Stan, I think that's fair to say at this point. Like he kind of went over his head or around like those two. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't healthy. It wasn't maybe – disastrous like some let it on to be but it wasn't a healthy relationship yeah, and, and what saved fsu in that relationship for so long was president thrasher and, and thrasher and jimbo had a very good relationship and monk man like that's a big part of this week, too i feel like over the last week yeah. that fractured more than anything yeah that's all what led us to this point i think not so much thrasher picked a side but his comments to the democrat i believe it was on tuesday about everybody needing to act like adults was yeah. pretty telling. He had never been that vocal in opposition of Jimbo. He, he'd been the opposite. He's going to be our coach forever and ever. He's my guy. I love him. He's a great coach. He, he'd always been that guy, and he wasn't that guy for a moment. It was just to see that. And I think ultimately the direction Jimbo saw this program going over the next two, three, five years with him at the helm, with everything he wanted for this program, I don't think he felt like he was going to get it from the people in that room or that it was going to be easy enough or the ability to get it was there for him without being difficult, combative, holding something overhead, wielding the power of a Texas A&M offer. I think the reason we reached the point we're at now is that that room, individuals in that room finally said no. Mm-hmm. They, they grew tired of constantly giving in to the man's and they decided to, you know, either take it or leave it. And Jimbo chose to leave it. Yep. Yeah. And, that, and that's, you know, this was a long time coming in that sense. Like he had used wins for leverage, which you do as a coach. Like that's fine. That happens, but he done it so often, so frequently Two bet years of LSU back to back. And he didn't always do it. Like, you know, this year was about adding support, adding facility upgrades, adding money to the, you know, the coaching staff, all that stuff. That was, that was all part of this. Um, but man, he, he the year before he leveraged LSU in a job he never really seriously intended to take in hindsight. And as we kind of learned, I think more clearly throughout this process, seeing how different he handled the two between Texas A&M negotiations and LSU, uh, he 
you know, he used that to get himself one of the best contracts in college football, not just financially, but just the, the security of it. So he made out well. He made out well. Um, and this is, you know, I think the booster side administration, uh, because he had they had committed to him and they did so in ways that were, you know, through negotiation. And that's not always done. You know, it, it can get contentious. Um, and so you're kind of on fragile footing there. And then you talk about a five and six season uh, and you start making demands. And I, I mean, I think the comments he's made about facilities a couple times, especially the first uh, at, the, at the coach's call and show when he said, hey, a few little upgrades, I'm paraphrasing. I mean, I, I think those those things kind of didn't buy him a whole lot of leverage or leeway uh, during this time of negotiations. You kind of lose that goodwill after a while. And I think that's kind of what this uh, this came to fruition is there wasn't just a whole, there wasn't a whole lot to go off of anymore. I think he'd kind of burnt those bridges. And we had talked about this a little bit before, Chris, I think kind of away from the podcast and a lot today. And there's been so many conversations that all kind of blur. But, but yeah, he, if, if he wanted to come back, he was going to have to kind of come back with his tail between his legs, and that's not who Jimbo Fisher is. Um, so that's kind of yeah. – when you mentioned in that, that article, the Democrat, Democrat Chris, uh, that was – you know, you had Thrasher, you had Miller going on record. Uh, we had heard about all the contention and that it wasn't healthy, but that when they went on record, I saw oh, shit. Like, that's that's it. And I think that's when I started kind of changing my mind on it. Yeah, and at some point, he had to opt to yield, which he wasn't going to or leave. He opted for leaving instead of yielding. Mm -hmm. I think there's a matter of fact in this whole situation that if he revisited many of the things he wanted in three, four, five months and sat down with those people and had a conversation, I think it would have been a lot more fruitful than it was with him kind of being consistent and persistent with it, you know, in the midst of being five and six and the end of a season and wielding this Texas A&M offer overhead. I think I think truthfully, people just grew tired of the routine. Yeah, you can do it once. Yeah, you can do it twice. Yeah, and you can do it when you're winning a lot of football games. But you do it three years in a row, and in the midst of being five and six, I, I just, I think his desires fell on deaf ears. People that had kind of grown tired of it. And some of the comments and some of the the statements about you know FSU's not doing enough, need more facilities. That's taking a shot at people that have made a massive investment, both emotionally and financially, into you. And it's not the best way. There, Jimbo is not somebody that's going to glad hand people. He's not going to smile for the camera and kiss the baby and play politics. It's just not who he is. Never has been, never will be. But the issue is he was so far from that in this situation for the third year in a row that I think some people are just like, it's never going to end. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why he got so much pushback when he dealt with the individuals he had to deal with for things he wanted. And I think if you know, if, if Florida State is you know eleven and zero at this point going into this game or whatever, like it's a different scenario. Like you kind of have to to give in a little bit more of your Florida State at that point to to his demands. But you know we're at the point where you've seen a you haven't seen the return on investment that you would like for you know three seasons in a row now um, with diminishing returns. Oh. Uh, Post Jameis Winston, and I just think you. I'll put it this way: we've been told this before by someone that's worked with Jimbo closely before. Is is he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, regardless of the room he's in. It's a tough place to be in life. Like for you to kind of think, for you to, and that's I mean that's in my react in, in the way I've interacted with him. I've, I've observed that too. Um, is that he just kind of thinks he has the answers, and I'm not trying to take shots at him. I guess I I am taking shots. I'm not trying to be petty on the way out here. 
because uh, we've talked about this before on the podcast and, and we've written about it and I wrote about that this week and other times. He, he just he rubs a lot of people the wrong way and there's not, like you said, there's not really the he doesn't find it necessary to, to kiss ass or to to go out of the way to, to do things for people that he doesn't think that, that they can't help. He thinks he knows the answer to every single thing. And when you're, you know, a smart football mind and you're confident, like that's going to get you far in this profession. Uh, but that can, when things don't go perfectly and you have some bad luck and, and it just doesn't go the way you want, can snowball quickly. That's what we've seen is just, his stubbornness, I think, came back to kind of you know put him in, in a position to where he had to take this A and M job because the way he negotiated, and the way he handled relationships previously. Uh, which 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 brings me to to how he left. Can we talk about like how uh, it's hard to stick the landing in life? It's hard to stick the landing on a, a TV show season finale, series finale, uh, for athletes to to end on the right note, uh, and it's never going to really feel the way you want it to. Um, this just this this is at least at least in the immediate, and I think over time people kind of get over it. But right now it's gonna leave a bad taste in everyone's mouths, right? Just because of this wasn't a clean exit. Yeah, but I don't know if it ever could have been. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to. But like, man, just trying to coach on Saturday and like that being a persistent thing. Like, come on, what the hell? Like that was never gonna happen. Part of that's on Florida State needs to be more yes. proactive with that. Uh, but for him to think that was somehow a good idea. Uh, that players would be okay with it. And we knew like players, we had players, parents tell us like they weren't okay with the way this was being handled. This was always going to be messy, I guess, but it, it, it still, um, I think kind of followed a line of him thinking he knew exactly, you know, more than what, what everyone else was telling him or what common sense said. Yeah. I think he thought he knew, you know, the right answer and he stuck with that and was kind of stubborn. Uh, and that pissed a lot of people off at the end. Yeah. I, he wasn't going to change. He, the stripes on that man are never going to change. Yeah. He is who he is. He is what he is. He's handled rumors the same way for years. The one difference this time around is usually at the call-in show, he would kind of throw like, I love Florida State. This is where I always want to be. He did that with the LSU rumors. We obviously didn't see that on Wednesday night. You know, nope. The only moment of that thing we took away from was the loyalty uh, question that was asked, and then the guy gets pushed out of the room and Jimbo doesn't answer it. Takes him basically 24 hours, or not 24 hours, 18 hours when he's on the radio with Andy Staples, Danny Cannell. He does answer it at that point, you know. And then he threw so poor Gene like, Deckerhoff under the bus, too, when Salfa Dino, the Orlando Sentinel, asked him, why didn't you answer it? And he's like, oh, Gene went on to the next question. You don't mess with Gene. Don't mess with but Gene. But I, I, don't, I don't think there was a graceful way to leave. I don't think a national championship winning coach is not being forced out you know, years down the road, I don't think there's a way for them to walk away from a job in a graceful manner. Yeah, man, you couldn't. We were there when Sexton was there. We were there when Jimbo left to go to uh, to Westcox, to West Cox, which is you know he went to go resign to to Thrasher as what the you know, the piece of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. We were there. He got back by what like eleven thirty. Uh, the news was broken at uh, one p.m. There was an hour and a half. Players didn't know. And you yeah, knew you were going to tell him in the meeting, but you had chances. Like that's what I'm saying, man. He just thinks like he's smarter than everyone. Like that that somehow people weren't going to find out that that meeting happened. Well, I was told that he was going. He intended to always speak to him at 2 p.m. That's all well and good, but in this day and age of social media, and that man hates social media, but he understands it at the same time. Eh. It's really tough for something to stay under wrap for two and a half hours. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like and it could have been handled well, better. At that point. You know, FSU, it was an abrasive relationship. FSU wasn't going to do him a favor. Yeah, yeah. 
he may want that, but that wasn't going to be the case. FSU wasn't going to allow him to control the message of him leaving FSU hanging by themselves. So it is what it is. I hate for the players that they learned it through social media. He yeah, that sucks. Words. Was told it was a brief conversation, but it was an emotional one. As I said earlier in the pod, he is certainly a player's coach. He is a guy that does care about his players. That is probably the thing I can say most truthfully about him over his time here. He legitimately gives a big old care about his players, always has, always will. You know, so it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't good. Some players voiced their frustration. Some went back and deleted it. Some left it there for everybody to see and retweet millions of times. And, you know, at the end of the day, players will get over it long term. I think most players understand it's a business. It is what it is. You know, I think they're going to rally around Odell Higgins tomorrow. Odell is obviously a dude that kind of bleeds garden gold. He's a guy that's very popular with kids. He's popular with people that have been around this program a long time. Odell's good people. He's a good coach. So I think that's great. you got an excellent guy to kind of give you some stability and allow you to bridge between the coach that's leaving and the coach you're going to. But at the end of the day, people are going to be unhappy with it. My opinion is people should you know, clap, say thank you, appreciate the good things that Jimbo did, realize that pretty much every coach in the world is either going to retire or get fired at some point in their career. There's not a whole lot of you know, good endings when it comes to football coaches, ever. Nope. And You're that, right. That's not to excuse. There's things that he could have done better. There's things that FSU could have done better. There's statements that could have been made on both sides. There's plenty of fault to go around. And I'm not excusing Jimbo for kind of, you know, avoiding the question and avoiding giving a real answer for 24, 48, 72 hours after it was kind of clear it was the answer. But, you know, football marriages never break up well. Uh, you mentioned Odell, and you mentioned tomorrow, and hey, there's still going to be a football game that's played. Football game. <laughs> uh, Florida State plays ULM, and like it's, it's I mean, it's it's as significant of a game as a five and six football team can play because there's actually like bowl streaks and and history on the line. And if you're Florida State, you can say, hey, even in our worst season, like we still went to a bowl game, like our worst season in, in forever. You know, we still were uh, at least average. Um, so you have that ULM, man, like I don't want to spend more than like a minute on this, but ULM, their offense is pretty eclectic. They do a spread stuff. It's a 15th ranked offense at S&P Plus. That's 1-5-15. Uh, so they're good. They're efficient, but their defense is poopy. It is, I think, 129th in the S&P Plus, and there's 130 teams in college football, 126 in scoring defense. So uh, what do you expect? Like, do you have any expectations for tomorrow? Tomorrow, because it's kind of uncharted territory for Florida State. I mean, I think they'll be physically superior and win, but like, I don't know what the emotional hangover is going to be for a noon game that I don't think is going to be super well attended. Like, it could be really weird uh, if it's a close game. Those guys could, you know, throw in the towels, or they could come in pissed off tomorrow. Like, I, I don't know. One more thing to add on ULM: Marcus Green, their wide receiver, is one of the better kick returners in the country. Uh oh. Something to pay attention and watch tomorrow. He's just have bad. just have Logan Tyler smack it through the the goalpost on the kickoff. Yeah, but I think he has four kick returns for a touchdown this year. Ooh. I think he might be number one or two in the nation. I can't remember exactly. It's been a long week. <laughs> but uh, as far as tomorrow, I think I think FSU will respond well. There will be a lot of emotions on that field. It will be a weird moment for all those players that recruited by Jimbo Fisher for him not to be there. But I think Odell's a guy that you can kind of circle the wagons around, and he's going to get you. And I think Odell's going to have the right message in the locker room. He's not a guy that's, you know, in there trying to get this job. He's not trying to be that guy. He just wants FSU to be good. Yeah. At, at the core of Odell Higgins, it's Garnett Gold. It's what he is. It's who he is. He's 
about the most seminal guy on earth and just don't bring up the seminal rap to him. <laughs> it wasn't great. But I think at the end of the day, that, that's what's going to kind of motivate those guys is they got things to play for. They're professionals. You know, it's weird, but I don't think they want to go home five and seven with no ball game. I think those the young men on the football team would prefer to end the regular season with a win and prepare for the future and get some ball swag out of it too. So, and the streak matters. There's a lot of players, especially veterans, who have spoken on former players and them, you know, discussing the streak, and that is significant. It's kind of a thing. And there, there's leadership on this team. I know we've questioned that plenty this year, but there are guys that can do it. And Derek Naughty is probably the first example I would go to. Derek Naughty cares about the ball streak. He flat out talked about it quite a bit after the UF game. Mm-hmm. And I think guys like that, if tomorrow has rocky moments, I think they kind of you know permeate to the top and lead this football team. And Louisiana Monroe, while they can score and do some things offensively, they're so horrible on defense that you know I think it will be tough for FSU not to just outscore them with kind of ease. I do get concerned, like, if it's close in the second half, like you start off, you know, in the third quarter and, and say your boy returns a kickoff or something for a touchdown and it's a one-score game. Yeah, he's your he's boy. made me the fan club president. No, I just can't remember his name and your boy sounded better I'm than – I mean, the fact that you can remember that name in this week and that that's a, is, is a testament to you and your uh, retention football knowledge. Uh, but, yeah, I do get worried, like, if it's a close game. Uh, if if this team kind of has just been a stressful week, it's been exhausting for them. I'm sure there's been a lot of you know, regardless of what Jimbo said on the way out, like this week, oh, he talks to the guys and whatever. There was a lot of the entire team was kind of wondering what the hell was going to happen. So, anyways, that's probably enough about ULM. Um, it, it'll it adds some intrigue to a game that I think that probably wasn't going to be really intriguing when they rescheduled it, you know, a, a, a couple weeks ago. I do wonder in hindsight if they kind of would have liked to reschedule it now at this point or just take the insurance money and that would have come from, from that game being canceled and, and calling it a day now that you know kind of and you want to start the, the coaching search, which gets us to this point. Uh, we're in 30 minutes, Chris, but let, real quick because I think people will be mad if we don't talk about what's next. Uh, Willie Taggart, we've reported, is the guy that Florida State is at least kind of circling around to start off with. I'm going to write about it a little bit more in depth in a little bit, but but negotiations have started. That doesn't mean that's you know a done deal or even that it's going – you know, that, that he's even going to be the guy that they really try to close in on. But right now that seems like that's Florida State's first option. They're going to kick the tires with him. Oregon coach, Florida ties, uh, was at USF, has resuscitated you know two programs at Western Kentucky and USF before the Oregon job and got them from 4-8 and eight to 7-5. and five. There's a lot to like about Willie, right, right, Chris? Yeah, I think he checks a lot of boxes. Things that we've heard the administration is looking for in the next coach. He's, at, he's a young guy. He likes hiring good OCs, good DCs. He still calls a lot of plays, but he also leans heavily on veteran coaches. He's a guy that likes to have a strong coaching room, a lot of strong voices. He can recruit. He's popular in the state. He's a guy that has an interest in being an FSU. Has spoken on in the past about his, you know, childhood fan uh, likeness of FSU. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's, I, I he's from where? He, is it Bradenton? Like it's right in that central West Florida, right? Is it Bradenton? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Tampa area. Well, not Tampa, but south of Tampa. Yeah. yeah, he's from that area. has a lot of ties there. Very popular with high school coaches. Very popular with prospects. You know, he kind of kept that thing going. We went out to Oregon of getting Florida prospects to show interest in his program and what he does. Yeah, he was beating Florida State for guys that Florida State wanted uh, all the way in Oregon. Like, that, you know. Warren Thompson being the main one this year. Yeah. Yep. I think they're certainly interested. There's certainly conversations being had. 
searches and such. There's a lot of semantics regarding offers and things like that. But he's going to have to tell FSU no before I think FSU moves on to whoever they believe will be option number two. And at this point, I don't think there is a clear-cut option number two. I think there's plenty of people that have expressed interest in FSU. I think there are plenty of people that FSU has interest in. Hot boards. But Willie Taggart is the dude. I mean, right now he's the guy that FSU, if they had their pick, that's who they are picking. You have, and there's, I was going to say, you have, you have no tolerance for my bullshit right now. Is that fair? It's been a long, been a long 48 hours. Oh, I'm good, man. I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't want to use the word reinvigorated, but for a Friday night, I'm doing great. Have you been, have you had a couple cocktails? No, oh. not, not a one. Wow. All right. I really think we drink like three cups of coffee today. I don't think I've had anything else all day, which is probably not real healthy. No, you're going to crash eventually, but I'm glad that you're, you have some pep in your step right now. There's no RBF or anything like that going on. You're, you're, you're looking good, and you're looking spry for, for what's been a long, long 14-hour well, day so far. Um, no, I agree, Chris. It, it, you mentioned with, with Willie, uh, if, if they do bring in Willie Taggart, his recruiting and his knowledge of Florida, like, I mean, the last month, as you know, as someone who covers recruiting, has been kind of slow at Florida State. You know, if, yeah. if that is a guy that you bring in, and this is very, very short-term and short-sighted, but, man, he uh, automatically gets you some guys that, that makes up for, for what, you know, that shit show on Wednesday when they lost three three uh, commits uh, publicly. Yeah, and they lost one earlier in the week. They lost another one today. Um, there's another one, Charles Strong, who's kind of, you know, I think looking around but can be farmed back up. And John Huggins, who decommitted today, is another kid that I think if, you know, whoever's the next coach here shows some interest, he's certainly going to be interested. Um, but uh, uh, Willie's a guy that can instantaneously come in, and he has connections in your state, your immediate recruiting area. There are guys that are going to buy into him. When he went to Oregon from USF, there are guys that were immediately ready to jump ship and go to Oregon without ever seeing it because they want to play for Willie. He's sort of that personality. So, yeah, early signing period, December 20th to the 22nd. FSU's got to get crack-a-lack in here, got to make a hire, got to figure out who's next. And if it's a guy like Willie, I think he's going to hit the ground running. I think they're going to have immense success. I think they're going to hold on to a fair amount of commitments they already have, potentially get one or two to jump back into the boat, and pretty easily add a couple more if it's a guy like that because there are ties to kids in the immediate area who have expressed interest in FSU but are also interested in playing for Willie Tager. You put those thing, two things together, I think you can beat a plane ride to Oregon and land a kid like that. So, yeah. yeah, I think it will be interesting. I think he's a hire that makes maybe the most sense for FSU. Not saying he's the best hire, not saying he's not the best hire, but I think he makes a lot of sense for FSU. If you made a checklist of things you want to coach, things that you need at FSU, I think Willie marks off a vast majority of that. Yeah, the only thing we don't know is can he sustain, like he's been a program turnaround guy, like he takes over really bad situations and makes them decent at least. I did at West Kentucky took over a winless team and they went from two wins to seven wins to seven wins. So that's an improvement. And he took over a USF team that had a five win season and a three win season that, that skip Holt just, just completely deteriorated like a, like a good thing that they had going on there. Uh, and after a couple rough seasons I mean, he was on the verge of getting fired and he turns them around and then, you know, that they, they go, I think, was it two wins, five wins, eight wins, 10 wins. I, I think that's it. And then uh, Oregon, he turns it around. So he can show he can turn things around. We don't know what he is. It's like a long-term program sustainer. A lot of coaches aren't. 
Uh, but I think at the very least, he starts, you know, he salvages this recruiting class and he, he injects some enthusiasm to the program because I think the message had gotten stale at Florida State. Um, we know for a fact that I think at least a few players are really excited uh, currently that are with Florida State about the, the idea of Willie Taggart. Now, again, like Chris said, you know, we're talking about like it's happening. We don't know for sure. Like we just know that that's the guy that, that those two sides have reciprocal interest. There's been a couple other names that we've heard like on, on the periphery, like a Charlie Strong, which I know a lot of people don't like. I don't think that's nearly as bad as some people think. Him failing at Texas, that was always a bad fit. Look at what he did at Louisville. I think that's much more in the realm of, of what he can do with a recruiting footprint uh, with, with, with better uh, options, what you can have at Florida State. And the other name was Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Uh, but we're not doing a hot board because I think Willie Taggart is the hot board. That's fair, right, Chris? Like right now, that's the guy. They've already started negotiating with him. Uh, he's he's number one option. Yeah, and this isn't a search where FSU's, you know, expansive with what they're looking at. They're not looking at 10 guys and then whittling it down to three and then going all in on one, two, three. They got their guy who they really would like that they're starting to search with. And if he says no, then they move on. And maybe they expand it to some degree. Mm-hmm. I don't envision FSU getting wild and wacky and you know, expanding it really, really wide. I think, I think they're going to have – presuming Willie was to turn down. I think they're going to have plenty of people that have expressed interest and plenty of people that they kind of kick the tires on and understand there is interest mm-hmm. where they're going to have two, maybe three people that they can truly focus on and move on one, two, three next and kind of go from there. I don't think this is going to turn into a fiasco where it's going to be difficult. FSU is an appealing job. Despite the smear job attempted by some national media and such in recent days, FSU does invest money in their program. They do have very good facilities they are a program that has great fan support. They're a program that can excel at the highest level. They just don't have money to burn like some universities out in the SEC West. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. I want to get to the smear job real quick, but but one thing, like the Jimbo Fisher flirtation, the, the, the yearly, uh, oh, I mean, will I, won't I kind of deal, kind of prepared Florida State for this moment because they've had a, a list of guys they've looked at in past years because they've they've been in the position where they've had to, to do some vetting. So that kind of enables them to hit the ground you know, running very quickly with this one. Uh, now, who knows? Maybe uh, names come out of the, the woodwork in the next you know, 24 hours. Maybe uh, you know, maybe that's something that, that happens. Maybe a bigger name, you know, a guy that's at a big program already, uh, like at a Florida State type of level, shows interest in Florida State because of its upside or whatever. Like that happens. Like I don't want to say that that's not a possibility. I don't want to steer people in the wrong direction. Uh, just right now, if I had to put my money on it, I would put on Willie Taggart. Like I just, I think that's the logical option. We know there's reciprocal interest on both sides, uh, but you mentioned the smear job, Chris, and this will be the last thing we can go. Like, like there has been, there's going to be a little bit of a stink that Florida State has to get off from the way things ended with Jimbo Fisher. I don't think it's going to be a very tough challenge, uh, but he's a guy who kind of publicly, you know, he made it made it pretty clear that there's some facility issues, or at least in his mind, and wonders about the upside. Uh, you know, I think people are going to kind of in the coaching industry look at Florida State and wonder is there dysfunction with the boosters and the way that whole thing goes because that became a, a, a narrative uh, here in the past week. Uh, so that's something that Florida State's going to have to go out of the way to to mend with whoever it's talking to. And I, again, I don't think that's an impossible task at all, uh, but that is something that, that Florida State's going to have to do a little bit of uh, of healing with. Yeah, and I, the key to that is having a unified front of the people that are the people that make the decisions that help along the way in FSU, that will be the people that the next head coach will lean upon for the different things they want and need for their program. Having a unified front of those people being good communicators with whoever the potential head coach will be 
making the verbal promises, shaking the hand, and making sure you make a great offer. If you want somebody, if that's your dude, if that's who you want to be the next head coach of Florida State football, and you think he can hire good staff, you need to make the promises of, one, we're going to financially compensate you at a very high level, ultra-competitive in the market. Two, you're going to be able to go hire an excellent staff who's going to have top five paying college football. FSU was number six. It's not like they were far off on that. Yeah. When it comes to the facilities, I think anybody that has a familiarity with this program is going to understand already what this program has done facility-wise. You can show them the cost analysis on the football ops facility that they're looking at. And you can have that conversation. I think, you know, Stan Wilcox, John Thrasher, Andy Miller, those individuals having a conversation about dollars and cents and where the money will go and how the program will be supported. I think history proves over the last four decades that FSU is willing to be the most competitive program in college football. And while Jimbo may have not believed that they were on the level of an Alabama and Ohio State and others and didn't have the money that Texas A&M might have. Which they don't. That's fair. Right, but I think stuff. FSU has proven they're going to do what it takes to be in that upper echelon. Yeah, yeah, and, and look at Florida State, the natural recruiting edge that you have, like you don't have to be quite over the top. Like Texas A&M needs to be just over the top, and 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 so I mean, you have to have all these you know bells and whistles because you don't have the prestige of Florida State blended with the you know recruiting footprint. You have the recruiting fr- footprint at Texas A&M. You don't have the prestige. Like their last, their last national title was what like nineteen thirty something. Like you know, I think it was thirty nine. I mean, like I don't think you know like minorities were allowed to play football then, right? Or college football. Like that. Like it was just that was. I mean, you're talking about a completely different era of football. Like it's not. Not the same. Negative forty-four years old, so my history of the time period ain't all that great. I, I'm younger than you, so um, yeah, regardless, like it's just it. It's Texas A&M needs to go above and beyond and throw crazy money. Florida State is a different situation. That's not in, but but the narrative out there that Florida State isn't going to invest is is incorrect. Florida State is going to invest. Um, I think the truth is FSU, when they have that conversation with somebody, if somebody brings up that Jimbo Fisher disagreed with it or whatnot, maybe express that, you know, well, he can have his opinion, but we also would have appreciated a thank you once in a while. Yeah. It's not – Jimbo asked for a lot when he was here, and I agree with a vast majority of the things he asked for and the things he got. It helped the program. It helps in recruiting. I know why he wants a football ops facility. He wants to be able to walk a parent in and say, hey, all of their academics can be handled here. The locker room's down here. This is where we practice. This is where we play. They live across the street. That stuff is great for recruiting. I understand that. But there's a difference between being a bully about wanting that and simply understanding that, yes, it's coming. The The whole act, the whole shindig over the last week that you know they were behind on facilities, they've been doing a cost analysis on a football ops facility for months. It is coming, and it's not like it's some – fallacy or dream that's not coming down the pike it's always existed and something fsu's been working towards now it may have not been to the standards that jimbo fisher wanted but it's been coming and it it, i it aggravates me i there's a lot of people i've talked to in the last few days who are kind of sick and tired of the act and the comments that deal with the money at fsu and i understand why they were sick and tired and i I don't think it's going to be a tough sell in the next second I don't think so either. Person. No, I, I don't. I don't think it will either. I think it's something you have to address, um, and it's something that like whoever the next head coaches during negotiations may try to use. But I think if FSU, like you said, Chris does have that that unified front, like you, you can get past that pretty quickly. I don't think that's a huge you know deterrent or whatever. 
just worth noting because I, I do think that's a reality that you have to deal with if you're Florida State, but I don't think it's crippling. Is it, go- is it coming down the pike or coming down the pipe? You said, I'm not you, you said, you said pike, I and I always thought it was pipe. It's probably my favorite thing ever. Like, I like, you know, RBF. I, I learned that acronym a week ago. You thought it was rusty, action. rusty bitch face. <laughs> so, it wasn't. I have my moment. I know. I, I play sometimes with English language. That's all right. I, I think I said, uh, I can't even remember what I, what I said the other day, but it was, I was completely wrong. I misuse idioms all the time. Uh, you're just vastly better than me in most aspects in life. So I like to make fun of you when you are wrong. Real quick, man. Hey, imagine if we went to an airport at 4 a.m. Oh, thank God we didn't do that. You were at the airport for a little bit today, and then you said it was a colossal waste of time, and we just sat on a bench for hours by ourselves. Yeah, I, I drove by Millionaire, which is a private airline area. We know where smaller planes are able to land right near the airport. And uh, the two local TV channels were both set up there. There were a couple cops there, but there was one plane on the tarmac, and it wasn't one that I care about. So <laughs> I left there and went over to campus, and you know, things went as they did over the next several hours. That led to Jimbo Fisher's departure and where we're at now. What was your favorite part or most entertaining part of this past week? Uh, truthfully, I think it was Thursday when like nobody said anything because when I went to bed Wednesday evening after a conversation I had before I wrote the piece that I put on the site that evening around midnight, I was basically told this thing was going to culminate on Thursday that there was going to be something done publicly that would be known. And now that didn't happen. I do believe privately, it, you know, outside of Jimbo resigning, pretty much everything else had transpired by the end of Thursday. But publicly, it was really quiet. The Board of Regents had their closed session, got their ducks in a row. They didn't really comment on it very much other than saying they felt confident in the direction they were going at Texas A&M. You know, Thrasher and Wilcox and Florida State Athletics and the university as a whole was silent on it. Jimbo spoke first before, what, 137 seconds last night after practice. And about the most interesting thing there was when Wayne McGahee asked him about, would you have done anything different? And he said, basically, no. Nope. Yeah, so there was, Thursday was like the, the 24 hours where I expected it to be like today turned into, but literally nothing happened. So to me, that was probably the most interesting thing because I felt like everything paused for a day. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like a weird purgatory for sure that it was kind of, nothing happened you realize nothing was happening like by the by the time that board of regents meeting was kind of ending we were going up to see jimbo and like oh god nothing's happened yet and it, it felt weird we go up into you know his you know, outside of his offices and he's on a cell phone which he's never on and i was like oh this is this is different but you know it was it was weird because you knew stuff was happening it just wasn't happening at the speed that i guess we thought it was going yeah. to um, we had found out he addressed the team before he spoke to us briefly between practice and that point but it was basically a reiteration of what he said earlier in the week, which was avoid the clutter, avoid the noise, focus on the game. You know, we're, we're trying to get, you know, a six and six, 500, view it as a playoff game for you guys. It wasn't addressing the elephant in the room, the rumors that had persisted all week. And, you know, I don't really think that ever was addressed until post resignation today by Jimbo with his players. My favorite part of the week was Jimbo saying that he told his players and they were just transparent and they, you know, they know what's going on and, and keep hearing from players that he's not being transparent and and doesn't know what's going on. Just just par for the course of of you know talking about transparency and and, and loyalty and just doesn't happen. But sorry, I had to be a little salty on the way out. Is that fair? No, probably not fair. But don't be salty. Think of the good times. Mm, just thought of them. There weren't any. 
All right, with the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Chris, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's now 7.48. We were only supposed to do this for like 20 minutes. What the hell happened? It's been almost an hour. Guys, we'll talk to you later. There's a football game on Saturday. Enjoy it uh, and be excited because, you know, enjoy what the past was, but future. It'll be fun. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later.